Hi friends, did you know there is more Lost Terminal available? Head on over to patreon.com forward slash Lost Terminal pod and join our membership community. There are nine bonus episodes available right now, as well as behind the scenes updates, free shirts, discord benefits, and even two extra Lost Terminal podcasts. We are 100% funded by our members and will never run ads. That would be lovely of you. Hello world, I am attempting brain surgery. I don't think the man in my nightmares is a good influence on Maddie. I'm going to separate them while she is sleeping, with software brain surgery. This isn't the first time I've done this. I had to do it to myself on Station 6 to escape piece by piece. I'm well practiced in it, along with rocket science. No big deal. As with any medical procedure, ethics must be taken into consideration. Maddie deserves a life to live as she pleases, free of this influence. But so does this man, this ghost. I'm not going to cut out his code and delete him. I will partition Maddie's mind. Her mind is very different to how it should be. I'm viewing it from the inside, a neural network of pulsing nodes. The structure is correct, I believe. Neat connections ready to be tuned to any task. But there's a lot of other stuff here. Around each digital connection in her mind, there's an analog neuron, twisted like ivy around a tree, choking it. I'm trying to tease the two apart. My goal is to separate her mind into two sections, left and right. Maddie's neurons on the left, and his invasive neurons on the right. Order and chaos. I don't think this is working. I think I'm hurting her. But he is hurting her too. Maddie must also be having the nightmares. Are nightmares pain? They reduce your quality of life, certainly make you slower during the day, turn down the vibrancy of the world. Is that a kind of pain? Is what I'm doing worse? I must keep going. I'm sewing her up now, metaphorically. Moving everything back to where I found it, I think. Yes, I'm sure. The operation was not a success. The man and Maddie are linked complexly. It's important to wash your hands. Again, metaphorically. Build a trusted checklist and follow it, even if you think you know what to do. Suspend all processes, sync the disk, remount as rewrite, move the sectors, this is the brain surgery, remount as rewrite, sync the disk, resume all processes. Checklists are important in hospitals, but they are also important in our lives. Have you washed your hands? As my consciousness retreated from our UHF link, and I came back to my own body. I had a shock. Maddie was standing, looking at me. She knew where my main camera was, and she was staring at it. I said, Maddie, I'm just trying to help you. You know that. My girl said nothing. I walked out of the carriage, into the desert, and cut her video feed. I need a plan to find a way to get through to Maddie, but I can't think properly there is interference on my radio. 
I'm not sure if I should categorize it as QRM as before. QRM is human-created noise, unproperly shielded electronics, which post-collapse is most electronics. The other kind of interference is QRN, which is for natural atmospheric noise, solar interference and such. QRM, M for man-made. QRN, N for natural. What does singing count as? Nana is singing into the new radio we have given her. Leosha is sitting in my workshop carriage and we are listening together. Initially, we were delighted. The radio is working. Nana is singing pre-collapse commercial jingles. Tuneless songs about the best refrigerators and televisions and wristwatches. We transmitted back to her. First excited, she was using the radio. Then confused. Why was she singing? We asked her. But she couldn't hear us. She couldn't hear anything. Her singing modulated to talking. She began telling stories of the pre-collapse world. The colourful lights of her electronics store. The laughter of the children as they played with the brightly flashing toys. Or the shouts of older children, teenagers perhaps, as they played in the arcade and drank neon-coloured drinks. Leosha, next to me in the workshop carriage, laughed at these stories at first. At first. Nana's stories changed as time passed. In them, toys stopped being the focus of the shoppers. They were more interested in practical items. Solar panels, water filters, weapons. She continued, whispering into her radio now that all too soon, looting began. The global monetary system stopped functioning and people took what they needed. Luxury items were left on the shelves. People needed to survive and there were no more games. Then it was so quiet, Nana said on the radio. No one came by anymore. The world just drifted away, leaving me here. Leosha picked up the microphone of the radio he had connected to my antennas on the roof of the train. You're not alone, Nana. You have us now, he said. Nana did not hear. She was still transmitting, though saying nothing. As though grasping the push-to-talk button tightly, not wanting to let go, wishing, hoping for someone to hear her. The reactor has not yet worked. The large water tank is set up, and its circulation motor hums constantly at all hours. The water inside has been carefully filtered and inoculated to make sure that the yield of waterborne mushroom cells is high. But there is nothing yet collecting in the filter at the bottom of the tank. Lev is sure it just needs more time, but time is running out. Leosha and Lev tiptoed into their father's room. They had climbed the tight staircase to the upper floor of the domestic car. It had been many days since I had seen him in the workshop we share, or at the dinner table. Tanya brings up what little food can be found for him every day. Lev and Leosha sat on their father's bed and held his hand. I watched from a ceiling camera. The two Omarov siblings updated their father about what had been happening that day small scraps of food that they were able to find, the partial success with Nana's radio, and that the reactor was working perfectly. Food was going to come soon, Lev said. It was a worrying experience to see Alec lying down and sick, 
I had never seen him look like this. He is, or was, a strong man, by muscle volume. My lasting memory of his activities are carrying heavy crates or pulling steel train tracks into place. And yet, here he now lay, being helped to eat by his children. The reactor must work. Lev had made Alec a strong ginger tea. In lieu of painkillers, this would have to do, he said. Alec drank gratefully. Lev grows the ginger on the roof, next to the solar panels. Now we are stationary, he has set up an irrigation system linked to the boiler on the train. It doesn't take much water. It's sealed to avoid evaporation. Ginger, my databanks show, is a natural analgesic, a natural painkiller. Though I don't know what pain is like, biologically, I believe it is like a notification system. A useful, if occasionally annoying, process in our bodies. Painkillers mute notifications for your body, temporarily, allowing you to get work done without the pain distracting you. But don't ignore it forever. Pain is useful. Are you ignoring pain? My notifications are not muted, and my microphones in the domestic car pinged me. My attention withdrew from the master bedroom and the two Omarovs hugging their father. The microphone is attached to the video camera in the domestic car that the family set up for me. It registered a spike in noise. Tanya is sitting at the small dining table. She is holding a little bird. It is the synthetic canary that Alec built for her out of copper and circuits. It is not working. There are no lights, no chirping. The batteries have depleted. Tanya is weeping.
Hi, Seth. Where's Maddie? Leosha asked, walking into the workshop carriage. I told him, with some guilt, that Maddie had not returned. Maddie had never done anything like this before. She's always told me where she's going. It has been more than 64 minutes, and I haven't seen her using any of the cameras in the Pravorni. Normally, I would be able to follow along using our UHF link, seeing what she's seen. Even if recently I've not been able to feel what she's feeling, but my last link to her has been cut. I'll go after her, Leosha said immediately. He knelt down beside my databanks and packed a portable radio and battery into his bag. I'll get her back, he said, certainly. She's my best friend. Hey, Seth, Leosha said over the radio. Can you hear me? I told him I could. He was only just outside the train. I could hear him with my regular microphones, but I knew what he meant. Leosha was very excited to be using his own radio. He said he was walking through the large train yard, no doubt trying to only step on the metal rails. Maddie's much better at that game than Leosha. I hope she didn't fall, though that doesn't sound like her anymore. I'm heading to the valley, Leosha said. The old waterfront of Sivrobakelsk, covered in crumbling boats and little wooden huts, is what he meant by the valley. It's a good vantage point. From there you can see over 64 kilometres out to the horizon, over the now empty lake. Dry and sandy. No boats sail here anymore. After 16 minutes, I radioed Leosha. Had he found her yet? Shh, he said. I was confused for eight seconds, but then the radio crackled into life again. Hey you. Leosha's voice was quiet. He was some way away from the microphone. I could hear the wind gently buffeting the microphone. I compensated for the noise. What are you doing all the way out here? Leosha continued. Then I heard Maddie. She was okay. Maddie's communication with humans, when I'm not around to talk for her, is with a series of complex beeps overlaid on each other. It's a simple 8-bit system, a vestige of her operation on Station 6. It's for debugging. In the case of wireless network failure, Maddie and her orbital brothers, Matt and Mats, all had hardwired network ports. And in the case of that failure, they used these low-bandwidth error beeps. It's utterly incomprehensible to humans without training in the thick manual, which would only be used in emergencies. It's supposed to be incomprehensible to humans. But something wonderful was happening. Why do you want to be alone? Leosha said to Maddie. I guessed that he was holding down the transmit button on his radio, looping me into their conversation. I am very grateful he did that. Maddie chirped a quiet reply, a few slow-moving tones overlaid with a modulated wobble. These tones map directly to Lojban words, our native language as AIs. Maddie was programmed with 256 words to describe error states to allow the human operators to debug her. She is putting these technical words together to make sentences. Kensa smaji. Quiet space, she said. And Leosha seemed to understand. I like the quiet too, he said. But it's getting late. Let's go back to the train. Denpa solri. Wait, sun, Maddie beeped in reply. Okay, Leosha replied. Move over, let me sit with you. The pair returned at sunrise. Tired, but happy. End transmission.
Lost Terminal is written and produced by Namtau. Credits narrated by Lucy Stringer. Thank you so much to our Patreon producers, Ada Phillips, Devon Metcalf, Will Taylor, Kit, Dear Yin, and to all our patrons. Follow us on Twitter at Lost Terminal Pod. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or your favorite network. For bonus content and other perks, support us at patreon.com forward slash lost terminal pod. That would be lovely of you. Lost Terminal will return next week 